Here we go. It's Long Gospel on this November the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we are getting ready for the last Sunday of the church year. That's going to be occurring on November the 20th, 2022. And the three readings are from Malachi 3, Colossians 1, and Luke 23. We're going to be starting by taking a look at Colossians 1, 13 to 20. This is a very good passage to give us an indication of how we have been saved. Verse 13 begins, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son? Well, first of all, his Son would be none other than Jesus Christ himself. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That can refer to God the Father and through the work of the Holy Spirit. When you are born, we believe, teach, and confess in the Lutheran faith that you are born with original sin. In other words, you do not have faith in God normally. Now, it did occur in one child, namely John the baptizer, that he did have faith before he was born. And that was a promise made by Gabriel to his father. And we know that's true because when he was six months in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, he leaped for joy when Jesus, who was just in the womb of Mary, entered into the house. And Elizabeth explained that John the baptizer leaped for joy because of the Holy Spirit. So he had been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, this is an extremely important law and gospel distinction. Unfortunately, there are Christians who belong to churches that do not teach that we are saved by grace through faith, but that they are saved by inviting Christ into their heart or by saying a prayer. How many times have you seen that, listening to the radio in other stations, and the pastor will say, well, if you want to be saved, invite Christ into your heart. Stop and think about that for a moment. If you are not a believer, why would you want to invite that which you do not believe into your heart? The, the fact of the matter is, is that anytime somebody desires to have Jesus in their heart, 
that means he already is there because they would not have that desire at all. That's a desire of faith. And hopefully it came about through the sacrament of baptism or for older people, they may have read God's holy word and been convinced by means of the word and the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the one. So we are delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. One image you can have in mind is when you were six or seven years old, you went to school. How were you transferred from your home to the school? Did you go out and start your car and drive to school? Of course not. You're very young. You want to get a license for another 10 years. No, it was your parents who transfers you from the home to the school. Nobody would ever say, well, I decided to drive myself to the school. No. And what is the kingdom of his beloved son? Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of the Holy Christian Church. And what is important about being in that kingdom? Well, verse 13 and 14 explain, in whom we have redemption. Now, the word redemption is used to talk about the cost of freeing a slave, that they no longer are a part of a family under the instruction of a master. They are now freed. Well, Jesus talked to the Jews about true freedom, and they argued with him. What are you talking about? We have Abraham as our father. We are already free. But what Jesus was talking about was a freedom from the curse of the law. That's redemption. What's the curse of the law? In the day that you sin, death is the result. Now, it says we receive, this is verse 14, the forgiveness of sins. How can we receive the forgiveness of sins in light of God's promise that death will be the result? Well, there was a death, but it was not our death. It was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why is that death important? In fact, the Holy Gospel from Luke 23 talks quite a bit about the cross of Jesus. They came to the place of the skull, and there they crucified Jesus with a criminal on his left and one on his right. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So one of the first things Jesus said from the cross was the gift of the forgiveness of sins. 
And we've said this many a time, but what does that forgiveness mean? What is a synonym or way of explaining forgiveness? It means that God will no longer hold you accountable for your sin. Now that's Christianity. No other religion in the whole world comes even close to that. In fact, every other religion is a religion of the law. Do this and you will live. And we even hear occasionally Christian pastors talking in that way. One of them suggests that the reason you are not being blessed by God is you're not doing sufficient good works. Well, the problem is you are blessed by having faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of the level of your good works. You can be one of the worst sinners in the world. Oh, you want evidence of that? Saul, before he became Paul on the road to Damascus, looked back and realized that he was a terrible sinner. Not only did he imagine that he was saved by following the ceremonial laws, because he was perfect in that. Not only did he think he was saved because he was an important Pharisee, not only did he think he was saved because he was persecuting Christians who believed in Jesus Christ, but he came to a realization that all of his works he considered as garbage. Garbage because Jesus Christ did something that Paul could not do, and that was to erase his sins. Paul was delivered from the kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of Satan, and he was transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. So who is this Jesus, the son? Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, when you first read that, it gives you the impression that Jesus was part of creation. But no, it doesn't mean that. He was also the firstborn from the dead. In other words, we're talking not about a chronological firstborn, but a priority firstborn. Had Jesus not risen from the dead, then nobody else would. The reason that, well, a prophet was able to raise a young boy from the dead in the Old Testament, and Jesus was able to raise Lazarus, is because Jesus was the first of all creation to be raised from the dead in the sense of being the priority. Apart from his resurrection, nobody else could be raised from the dead because they would not have the forgiveness of sins. Not only is it clear 
that Jesus was therefore ahead of all creation. But listen to verse 16. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, if all things are created for him, he himself could not be a created being. No, he is God who is eternal. We also are eternal, but we are like the angels. We are semi-eternal. In other words, we have a beginning, but in Christ, we will have no end. In other words, in heaven, we will live forever and ever and ever. God has no beginning. There was not a time when God did not exist. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus is referred as being the image of the invisible God. That's explained very clearly in the Athanasian Creed, one of our three creeds that summarizes what the Bible says. And if you go to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. It says the Word was with God, and then it says, and the Word is God. And we know that that's talking about Jesus because in verse 14 of John chapter 1, he becomes incarnate. In other words, he becomes also a human being. Jesus, therefore, has two natures. He is divine and he is human. There is never a time when he is not both. Therefore, in heaven right now, Jesus is also a human being, and he sympathizes with us because he endured the trials of earth as we do. He created all things, visible and invisible. Now, what are the invisible things? Well, that would be, for example, the angels. And we don't really know much about creation. There are things that we haven't found in the ocean. There are all kinds of things in the universe that are a mystery to sciences. Therefore, Jesus is the one who brought in thrones and dominions or rulers or authorities, referring to the angels. And if you go to chapter 13 of Romans, you'll find that there is no officer in the synod, or I should say in the country, that was not instituted by Jesus Christ. Verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now what does that mean? 
Well, Jesus is the one who is Almighty God, and he holds all things together. Without him, nothing really works. I was watching a movie recently, and a church had been burnt down. And the people were saying, well, was that because of our sins? And the pastor, who is not a very good pastor, he said, you're not saying God was responsible for this, are you? Well, who else is responsible for the burning down of a church except God? Now, that may sound strange because the burning down of a church doesn't sound to be a favorite thing that God likes to do. Why would he burn down his own church? Well, he could have a number of reasons, but it could be also to strengthen the faith of the people in that congregation. For we've had churches that have been really put to the test because of a tornado or hurricane or flooding, and the people begin to worship in another location until the church can be rebuilt. They do not lose their faith because faith is not based on a structure. It's based on a kingdom. And that kingdom is the Holy Christian Church, not referring to the building, but referring to the kingdom of God into which you have been transferred. So it really doesn't matter whether or not you have a church that is well put together or a church that is damaged in the storm, Jesus is still there in his kingdom. The kingdom into which you have been transferred is still existing, and Jesus holds it together. Verse 18 says that Jesus is the head of the body the church. So, in other places in the scripture, you may be a different part of the body, but it doesn't really matter. One hymn says, you cannot maybe preach like Paul or do other great works like the apostles and prophets did, but you can lead little children into the arms of a waiting Savior that being a Sunday school teacher, or parents bringing up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's interesting, as we have been finding out in the book of Proverbs, that the task of the parent and the task of the church is to discipline the children. But that word discipline doesn't just mean a punishment. It means to make them a disciple. And therefore, a child that is born has original sin. And even after being baptized, they continue to disobey. So the parents encourage them to follow the discipline of God. They teach them what God thinks about how we should follow his will. And Jesus is the head of the church. He is a head 
of the body. Verse 18 of chapter 1 of Colossians continues. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means he is the most important individual for us to look to for our salvation. He is the one, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who transferred us from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, that's a wonderful verse, because if you have the fullness of God, as did Jesus, then you are divine. And it's odd that the disciples did not recognize that he was God for a long time. Remember, he's on a boat. There's a big storm. The disciples wake him up because he's asleep. And they say, don't you care that we're going to perish? Jesus stands up and he tells the storm to cease. And there's calm over the lake. The disciples do not say, well, he is God. Because in the Old Testament, only God has power over wind and wave, like at the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan. No, they say, who is this man who has control? It's not until the resurrection that they recognize that he is God. But it's very clear that in verse 19 of Colossians 1, Paul is inspired to write to the Colossians, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, now we get back to verse 13, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And how does he do that? How does reconciliation take place? Well, first of all, what does it mean that there's a reconciliation? Occasionally, you may have an argument with a family member or a friend, and it's obvious that you are not reconciled. You haven't taken care of the problem. But perhaps when you talk with your friend or family member, both of you have your mind changed and you are reconciled one to another. Well, to whom did we need to have reconciliation? That was God the Father. Because he is in wrath against all sin. In fact, in Malachi, God says very clearly that he listens to those who fear him. He pays attention to them and hears them and even has a book of remembrance that is written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. 
And the Lord of hosts, who is none other than Jesus, says, they shall be mine. And they are his on the day of judgment when he brings them into his eternal kingdom in heaven. But you are also his when you are on earth and members of the Holy Christian Church. Because the last part of verse 19 and 20 says, he has reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What peace? Peace with God the Father. You, as a believer, are at peace with God the Father, and he is reconciled to you. And that's the wonderful good message of the gospel, so that you are not saved by any of your works. You're saved by the works of Jesus Christ, who reconciled the Father. And we know that there is peace, as the angel said to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus, peace be to you. And the first words that Jesus said to the apostles when he appeared to him, to them at the resurrection is peace to you. That peace doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles on earth, but no longer will you have struggles against God the Father because he has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son, the holy Christian church, because through that you have been redeemed and received the greatest gift that can ever come to an individual, and that is the forgiveness of sins, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. That's why he is your Savior. That's why he is your Redeemer. And on tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we will examine a hymn that talks about this. It's entitled, Lord Enthroned in Heavenly Splendor. And we'll be doing that with Pastor Mark Smith. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. Email me if you have questions at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.